If you could turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. We're just going to read the chapter in its entirety like we've been doing every single week. I think it's important just for context's sake, um, and it doesn't hurt to read the Word of God. Colossians chapter 1, reading from verse 1, and it reads, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ which are at Colossae, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which you have to all the saints, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which is come unto you, as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit, as it doth also in you, since the day ye heard of it, and knew the grace of God in truth. As ye also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ, who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and longsuffering, with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father which has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all, create, of all creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell, and having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And you, that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight if you continue in the faith grounded and settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, and made a minister, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church, whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, even the mystery which has been hidden from the ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints." to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus, whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. Now last week we took a look of understanding knowledge of Christ leads to ultimately walking 
um, for Christ, which then we are blessed by an increased knowledge of Christ. And so it all begins and it ends with Christ. Well, in verses 12 to 14, I mentioned it last week, just in passing, um, that verses 12 to 14 show us that we have been bought with a price. And I just want to touch on those verses just a little bit because I don't think I can leave them um, just sitting there. And we've mentioned already uh, in the opening and in the singing, but redeemed is, is a is a theme in Colossians chapter 1. In verses 12 to 14, giving thanks unto the Father which has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, ultimately leading to that we have been redeemed in verse 14, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Now in verse 13, it says, who has delivered us from the power of darkness. Now the word used for delivered us actually means to rescue and its original context, its original use, the origin of the word, means to drag a soldier out of the battlefield and away from danger. That's what it means, that we have been rescued. Also in that verse, that he has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Now, I've never, I've seen my mother do it, but she's transplanted plants, taken them from one pot and put them into a larger pot. Eventually, plants just sort of outgrow the the pot that you initially place them in. And so if you've ever done that, you take a, a plant, dig it, scoop it up out of its pot, and you have another one waiting, one that's bigger, it's, it's filled, you have all the nutrients ready for it, and you put that plant in there, and then you water it, and you watch it grow, and you watch it blossom. That's what Christ has done for us. He has transplanted us. He hasn't just taken us from something and just sort of given us something else. Know what it says who has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. He's transplanted us. He's taken us into his dear son, the kingdom of his dear son. He's completely transformed us. Verse 13, at the end there it says, translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. His dear son. Now that properly translated uh, would read the son of his love the son of his love which then flows into the following verse in whom we have redemption through his blood it just flows a little bit cleaner there the in whom in verse 14 refers to that love the son of his love in whom that love in whom we have redemption through his blood so the same love with which, with, with which the Father loves the Son is the love whereby we are saved. What an amazing thing to be loved by God so wonderfully and so beautifully. The love that the Father has for the Son is the same love whereby we are saved. In verse 12, and, and people have asked, you know, are you giving a Thanksgiving message? This is the thanksgiving message. Verse 12, give thanks unto the Father. Why? Because we have been redeemed. We have been transplanted. We have been rescued. We have been delivered into the kingdom of his dear son. How? Through the redemptive work of the cross. Through the redemptive work of the cross. The shedding of the Lord Jesus Christ's blood and the forgiveness of sins. And that's something that we'll spend eternity being thankful for. 
We'll spend forever. That's the theme of eternity is being thankful to God for what he has accomplished, being thankful to Christ for what he accomplished on the cross. The new song that they sing is essentially the old song in Revelation. It's about Christ. Now the passage that we're going to look at this morning specifically is Colossians chapter 1, 14 to 20. Just seven verses, and there's just a couple things uh, in here uh, that I want to take a look at, although there's a lot more. Verses 14 to 20 is perhaps the most concentrated description of Christ we have in all of Scripture. And there's 15 specific aspects of Christ mentioned in these seven verses. And I'm just going to list them for you, but just pay close attention and you'll see the 15 aspects of Christ in just seven verses. One, in him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Two, he is the image of the invisible God. Three, he is the firstborn of all creation. Four, by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Five, all things were created through him. Six, all things were created for him. Seven, he is before all things. Eight, in him all things hold together. Nine, he is the head of the body, the church. Ten, he is the beginning. Eleven, he is the firstborn from the dead. Twelve, in everything he is preeminent. Thirteen, in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Fourteen, he reconciles all things to himself. And fifteen, he makes peace by the blood of his cross. Paul in this passage establishes the sufficiency of Christ. He relates Christ to four things, and I'll just mention this just for your notes he, mentions, he relates Christ to four things. Christ in relation to God. Christ in relation to the universe. Christ in relation to the unseen world. And Christ in relation to the church. And so just in these seven verses, Paul packs in so much truth about the characteristics and the very nature of Christ. And so he relates him to four things. God, the universe, the unseen world, and the church. We're just going to have time to take a look at a, at a couple of these this morning. In verse 15, if we start there, who is the image of the invisible God? He is the image of the invisible God. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 17, it tells us that God is invisible. And several times in the Old Testament, it is mentioned that God cannot be seen, that God is spirit, not flesh and blood. And Paul here is reiterating that thought. However, he directly applies it to the person of Christ, that Christ is the physical manifestation of God. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, and we read a bit from Hebrews this morning, but Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, it says, And he that is speaking of Christ is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of of his power. The Greek word used for exact can be used to represent a stamp or engraving tool that is used to make an exact replica. That's what it means. Christ is the perfect image. Nothing has been added, nothing has been taken away. He is the exact representation of God. 
The revelation of God to his people was always by his word. And that's why in John chapter 1, we won't, we won't turn there, but John chapter 1, it, you go through there, very familiar. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. That's why John writes it as the word, because the revelation of God to his people was always by his word. The Jews never saw God, but they could hear God, couldn't they? And oftentimes in the Old Testament, when you, when you read, you'll read the words, and the word of the Lord came to Elijah, and the word of the Lord came to Moses, and the word of the Lord came to Nehemiah. It was by the word. It was by the word. And we could go through a multitude of examples. God was always revealed verbally. And so when Christ appears physically, the immediate connection is drawn. Christ is the word. Christ is the exact, he's an identical expression of God. That's why the Lord Jesus Christ could say in John chapter 14, verse 9, He that hath seen me hath what? Seen the Father. I'm an exact replication of who God is. You might think, well, what about mankind? Weren't we created in the image of God as well? You remember the words in Genesis, let us make man in our image? Well, never is the idea presented that man was created perfect or holy. Even Adam was not created holy, he was created innocent, and he failed the first test. It is only in reference to Christ where you will find the words relating to an exact representation. And so, yes, we are made in the image of God, but we are not Christ. We are not the exact representation of who God is. And that's just a, a very basic um, explanation of that. There's a lot more to it. Um, but Christ is the exact representation. To think anything less of Christ would be blasphemy. To think anything less of Christ would be blasphemy. He is God. Yes, he is man, 100% man, but he is also 100% God, an exact replication of who God is. And Paul here is addressing a thought that was rising up in the church at Colossae, namely that Christ wasn't completely God. So Christ isn't enough. And what Paul is saying, he's, he's bringing it back and he's saying, no, 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 no. Christ, he, in verse 15, who is the image of the invisible God, he's an exact representation of God. He is sufficient. Christ is fully God. There's no lowering him. At all. And this thought that of Christ being the exact image of, of God should be staggering to us because in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, it says that one day we will be like him. We will be like Christ. And you see the life that Christ had lived on the earth. You see your own life and you compare it and say, I fall so far short, but one day... The sin nature will be completely removed and we'll serve him and worship him out of a pureness of heart. That'll be amazing. And it's a staggering thought that Paul is bringing forward here. We will be like Christ. And that's our goal, right? But Paul brings us up a lot to be like Christ and that's to be our life's pursuit. That's to be our life's pursuit. To be like Christ. 
Second part of verse 15, it says the firstborn of every creature. The firstborn of every creature. That word firstborn actually refers to position or rank, not time. There was a lot of people born before Christ. So it's not referring to chronologically. What it's referring to is position or rank. The firstborn is the one with the rights to the inheritance. The Jews would have understood this completely, and even the Gentiles would have understood that very plainly. The firstborn is the one who gets the inheritance. Christ is the honored one, the Father's heir. And we see this word used here, the firstborn. Uh, you can take a look on your own time, but Jacob and Esau, Esau was born first, right? But that word for firstborn that's used of Christ here is used to speak of Jacob, not Esau. You see, it doesn't necessarily have to be the firstborn physically. <laughs> and so here we have the firstborn of every creature. It refers to position or rank. It's not time. And Christ is the one who in Revelation takes the scroll from the Father. A call goes out to all of creation. Everybody hears it, Satan included. A call goes out, who is worthy to open the scroll and to break the seals thereof? A call goes out. Every single created being, every created thing hears that call. Satan hears that and he doesn't step forward. The fallen angels hear it, they don't step forward. Michael the archangel hears it and doesn't step forward. It's only Christ. It's only Christ. Why? Because he is the one who is to receive the inheritance. He is the preeminent one. And the cross solidified his position. It's his. It's always been his. In verse 16, Paul goes on and he says, For by him, for by Christ, were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible. For by him were all things created. Paul teaches us that Jesus Christ created all that is. They were created through him and for him, and it echoes what John chapter 1 says, where it states, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. That is to say, creation exists to display the greatness of God. It serves no other purpose than to display the greatness of Christ. And that's what it means when it says it was made for him. It was made for a display of who he is and his character. Nothing in the universe exists for its own sake. Everything from the ugliest creature at the depths of the sea to the heights of the mountains from the smallest particles to the farthest reaching stars, from the tiniest of creatures known to man to the most beautiful and awe-inspiring creatures that walk the earth. Everything that exists, exists to make the greatness of Christ more fully known, including you. You are a walking billboard of Christ's magnificence. Now, out of everything that Paul could bring up, and he has millions of things to bring up, Verse 16, what does he focus on? He says, in him were all things created that are in heaven and that are on earth. Okay, I've got this, the vastness of space. I could talk about planets. I could talk about stars and say, hey, he made those. Honor him. And that's enough for Christ to be worthy of honor 
and adoration, but what does he focus on? He says, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. Colossians chapter 2, verse 15 shows us the identity of this specific group. Colossians chapter 2, verse 15 says, And having spoiled principalities and powers, okay, they're, they're mentioned there, he made a public display of them or a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. The ESV, I think, renders it slightly better. It says, He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So here are the rulers and authorities that Paul references in Colossians chapter 1. And they turn up again in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, a book written at the same time as Colossians. And in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, it says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. A very familiar passage, well-known passage. But Paul is identifying these rulers and authorities in Colossians 1 as evil, supernatural powers that aim to deceive and destroy the human race. A topic not often brought up. Kind of a touchy subject. However, Paul mentions that they were put to open shame by the cross of Christ. They were put to open shame. Jesus disarmed them and made his people completely secure through faith in Jesus Christ. Yes, these rulers and these authorities that are mentioned here, these evil supernatural powers, they still cause destruction in the world today. However, this world is not our final home. And we are found secure in Christ, those who have put their trust and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The cross of Christ accomplished so much more than just salvation. Like there's a lot going on. If you, if you were asked the question, what happened at the cross? Yes, the penalty for my sin was paid, but there's so much more. Christ accomplished so much more than just that. And here it's bringing up another point. He says, he put them to open shame. You have no power or authority except Christ. That's what he did. We serve a powerful God. And in verse 16 of Colossians 1, it shows us where these rulers and authorities come from, which I think is, is important. And Paul brings this, this up. God created them. He created all things and he created them. And Paul is specifically mentioning, well, he created these, these beings. Why do they exist? They exist for Christ. They exist for Christ. They exist to make his glories known. And that's kind of a weird concept, right? Because they do evil things and they cause destruction. But yet Paul is saying that all of this is done for the glory of God. I'll try to explain as best as scripture puts it. It doesn't say that he created them for evil. It never says that in scripture. In Jude, verse 6, it clearly shows us that there were some angels that did not keep their first estate. So they were created for a purpose, and they rebelled. They rebelled against the holy God. Christ 
And Paul brings this up in this passage, but Christ knew that those angels would fall before they fell. Christ knew that there would be sin, rebellion, and evil. And through his infinite wisdom, he would take all of it into account as he planned salvation and the triumphs of grace that would flow from the cross. In Revelation, it brings up the, uh, the, the thought that the cross is what qualifies Christ to be honored and glorified. Why? Not only because he redeemed us, not only because he redeemed his followers, but because he accomplished a lot more at the cross. And when you go through and you read the Bible from cover to cover with that in mind, you start to see the victories that Christ won, not only over sin, death, and the grave, but over the powers and the principalities and the dominions and the thrones and all of it. Christ is truly the victor over all. And Paul is bringing that into view. When Paul says that the rulers and authorities were created for Christ, he means that God created them knowing fully what they would become. And in that very evil role, they would glorify Christ. God created them for the glory of Christ, which is wonderfully ironic because Satan tries his hardest to discredit God. And what does Christ say? What does God say? He simply says, it's all for me. It's all for me. And yes, we can't understand fully what that means, can't understand fully, well, how does God get glory out of this? But Paul says that's not for us to worry about. But the fact of the matter is, Christ does receive all the glory. God receives all the glory that is due his name. Whether they be evil things, in our eyes, in his eyes, whatever it might be, that he receives all the glory. Now, why would Paul mention this and not talk about the mountains or the oceans or other things that God has created? Why does he bring it to this point? Why does he talk about evil? Why does he bring that into view? And, and why did we spend so much time this morning talking about it? Paul brings all of this up to show us four things. Number one, Christ is worthy. These truths make it clear that Christ is the only being worthy of worship. There were people in Colossae saying that the worship of angels, found in Colossians chapter 2, verse 18, was part of the way up to God. There were some in Colossae who were saying, well, you need to pray to the angels. It's sort of a barrier before reaching God. And Paul says, these angels that some think are so great were created by Christ and for Christ. So don't worship them. Worship the one who created them. So number one. Christ is worthy. Number two, why does Paul go through this? Christ is better. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, it, see, it says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Paul is saying, I'm going to show you that Christ is so much better than all of that. You're going to be so completely caught up with him that you won't easily be swept away with foolishness. That you'll be so fully, completely caught up with who Christ is and all that he's done 
that you just don't have time for the foolishness of the world. So Christ is better. Number three, Christ is sovereign. Paul wants to make crystal clear that when Christians who feel small and vulnerable hear about hostile thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, the powers in this, that be in this world, that they know beyond any doubt that Jesus Christ has all authority over them. And that they cannot do anything apart from his sovereign permission. Paul is reminding the believers at Colossae that Christ is in charge. (laughs) That he's at the top. And no one else is in charge. So that was three, Christ is sovereign. And finally, the fourth point or the fourth reason why Paul brings this up. Christ is salvation. Finally, Paul tells us these things because he wants us to know that our salvation in Christ is invincible. When Christ died for your sin and rose again, in Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, he disarmed the rulers and authorities. There is no power that can take your salvation away. There is nothing in this life that could lower the security that is found in Christ. Nothing whatsoever, and that includes you. That includes you. You don't have enough power to lose your salvation. Why? Because it is Christ that holds us in his hand. If you have put your trust in him, here is what he says about you in Colossians chapter 3, verses 3 to 4. You have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears then you also will appear with him in glory. Lori Barth mentioned it earlier. What's one thing to be thankful for? Christ is coming again. You are secure forever in Christ. So why does Paul mention these things? That, he's the, that, he's, that Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creatures? Why does he mention that by him all things were created in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, and relating that to the principalities, the dominions, the powers? Why does he mention that all things were created by him and for him? He says all of that because he wants the believers at Colossae to know and he wants us to know today that one, Christ is worthy, two, Christ is better, three, Christ is sovereign, and four, Christ is salvation. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time again that we were able to open up your word. We thank you for your word, how it so highly speaks of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's all about him. Every page is saturated with the truths of who he is. We thank you for this passage in Colossians, Lord. And and Paul would be writing it to the Colossian believers, Lord, but it would impact us today. That's how marvelous the living word of God is, and we thank you for it that we can learn from it, that we can be drawn closer to you by it. And we pray, Lord, that just as it says in, in verse 12, giving thanks, that we might be thankful for what has been done for us, how we, how we have been redeemed, how we have been set free, how we are no longer slaves to sin, but slaves to righteousness, how we have been translated, transplanted from darkness into light, into the kingdom of your dear son. We thank you for all these wonderful truths that Christ is the image of the invisible God, that we serve a risen Savior, that we serve 
a God who created all things, who spoke everything into existence, and who has ultimate power and authority over all things. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for who Christ is. We thank you for who the Holy Spirit is. It's wonderful to see you. And so we pray that as we leave this place this morning, might we have the name of Christ on our lips. Might we have the name of Christ on our minds and on our hearts. Might our lives flow out in ceaseless praise for who you are and what you have done for us. We pray that we would live lives according to your will and according to your way. We pray that we would live lives expecting to see Christ shortly. That we would live lives in anticipation of his return. So Father, we just pray that you might be with us as we leave this place. Keep us safe as we go to our respective homes. And again, might Christ be at the forefront of everything that we do in this life. We pray all things in the name of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.